All right, everybody, welcome to another installment of Take This Job and Love It. We are uh, representatives of the Office of Career Strategy here to talk to you today about various aspects of the job search process, here to debunk myths, demystify the impossible, and make everything a little easier for yourself. Uh, my name is Brian Fournette, and in the Office of Career Strategy, I work with PhD students, master students, and postdocs. I'm Stephanie Waite, and I'm with the Common Good and Creative Careers team. I'm Julia Burke. I work mostly with undergraduate students and with experiential learning opportunities. And I'm Meredith Mira, and I also primarily work with undergraduate students and our STEM Connect initiative. Today, we are here to talk to you about the behemoth that is the job search process. Now, Stephanie, you were telling me about a, a type of student that you, you see on occasion. Why don't you tell me a little bit about that person? Oof, more on just occasion, Brian. <laughs> so um, especially in the last, I'll say, a couple of months, I've, I've been meeting with quite a number of students who will say, and they will air their frustrations, and they'll say something to the effect of, I've applied to so many positions, whether that's internships, postgraduate opportunities, um, there are alums who are career changing, you know, and they'll say, oh, I've applied to so many jobs and I have not heard back from a single one of them. And then I ask them, well, what's a, what's so many jobs? Right? <laughs> um, and it, the number will range dramatically, right? Like I've applied to 20 different jobs or I've applied, and I heard this one most recently, I have applied to more than one hundred positions. A new high. Um, yeah. Yeah. So um, so I'll ask them a little bit about their process, right? Of course. Um, and I will often hear, well, I Google for positions and then I send in my application. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, of course, what we know at the Office of Career Strategy is we probably would not recommend that method, right? And this made me think of something that um, you've actually talked about on a number of occasions, Brian, which is um, what we mean by an active job search process versus a passive job search process. Yeah, so I I have also met some of these folks. Fifty is usually the number I get, which Ooh. it's a very consistent number for me for some reason. But um, just making it up. Yeah, 50. I was like, maybe they just really want to go with fifty. It seems <laughs> seems like a lot. I don't it's know. Safe number. Seems like if it took fifty for you to come in, there's like that's a weird threshold. To you, that's but. weird too, right? It's almost like they're they're wondering like what is that magic number that will then yield me the result right. that I need? Yeah, like when does the bell go off? Right. And sometimes that's like that's carryover uh, methodology from applying to. Colleges, grants, right? or graduate schools, right? Anything, like, yeah. okay, so I have my, you know, my far reaches. I have my safety net schools, and then I have the like more accurate, you know, and 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 you know, we all know in this room, like this, this is not how this works for the job search process, right? And so, what you were referring to this this active versus passive job search. This is the dynamic that that I've come to 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 refer to it as is thinking about how are we. What is our perspective of our job search? And most people, by Googling the thing, as, as you say, and submitting the application, there is this sort of mistaken identity that that is an active job search. I'm, I'm investing time. I'm making moves here. There's a quantifiable number of positions that I've applied for, and therefore I can measure my effectiveness, my perceived effectiveness, despite not getting either any interviews or not getting the offer that I, I'm looking for, when in fact the reality is that, is that is mistakenly what we call the passive job search. So to give a little bit of, of definition here, 
we're referring to a passive job search by identifying information that is broadly available and acting on that information in a way where we are one of, you know, potentially dozens, hundreds of applicants. Um, that is not an erroneous way to do something, but it is limited in its effectiveness, right? Because if I, despite my accolades, I am the 200th person to apply to a job, the math is just probably not in my favor and there's no, necess- there's no way for me to rise above those 199 other people uh, in spite of those accolades. Now, with the active job search, we are going to generally leverage connections. We are going to do what you would imagine the four of us would say at some point in this podcast. We're going to be networking. Ah, right? I'm networking. I'm sorry. It had to come up. <laughs> but we're going to be doing this, this approach where we're going to be trying to talk to folks. We're going to be trying to learn from those who've come before us because despite any – amount of anxiety of us thinking we're alone in the woods on this, you're not the first person that's had to go through this, regardless of your situation. I have good, good news for you. And as a result of all that, you get to learn from those who've come before you. So the active process is, is engaging with those to learn about the how. How did they achieve what they've achieved? How did they make that transition? How did they get that first interview? How did they learn from that first bad interview? All of those things come through this active process. Those conversations will make you a better applicant in the passive search. That active process and those that outreach will also um, reveal you to opportunities that you may not have been otherwise um, aware of through a, a Google search, for example, or even just looking at one employer's website every week uh, on a routine basis. These two approaches, the active and passive, ping pong off of each other very nicely because, as I said, going through the active process makes you better in the passive. So we often advocate embracing this dynamic and making sure that we're establishing balance within the dynamic. If we're going through a job search where we're doing our research, we're engaging with people, we're submitting applications to positions where we find, eventually everything will click. But it really requires that active process, which does involve a little bit more time than Last night between 8 p.m. and 3 a.m., I sent off 50 applications. It requires a little bit more of a slow burn. And I think uh, oftentimes when people say I've submitted 50 applications, what they primarily mean is they submitted 50 resumes. And what they also mean, and by that I mean they submitted a resume without a cover letter. Oof. And sometimes jobs will say you can just submit the resume. And we really highly recommend that you submit a cover letter with it too because it shows the employer that you've actually taken one additional step and hopefully done a little bit of homework in this more active process, I Mm -hmm. suppose. Um, So I think that's number one. We don't want you just throwing sort of resumes out there because it then starts to make you feel like crap (laughs) when nobody responds to you. And the way in which we're receiving that in this office is probably like you didn't even give yourself the opportunity to put your best foot forward. So you shouldn't feel like crap. I mean, you might because you haven't heard from anyone, but it's it's because we need to do something a little bit more focused. Right. And if you're sending out the same resume 50 times, it's definitely not tailored to that position. And that, I assure you, is clear as day. 
to the person who's looking at it. And they're literally just going to take and be like, oh, that's nice. And then just put it in the no thanks pile. Like it's, it's sad, but true. Yeah. You didn't, you didn't take the time. Like you didn't care enough to take the time to read through the job description, to align your language on your resume and your cover letter to that job description. I mean, that's, and that's like one of the most obvious things to an employer. Right. And to touch on the cover letter piece, since you brought it up, I get, I have a lot of students come to me and say, I heard you don't need to write a cover letter. And that seems like such a convenient ruse because I've never <laughs> heard that from – I mean, I, I, I don't doubt there are employers that don't want – we know there are employers that necessarily don't want cover letters. And they'll, they'll dictate as much. They'll say it specifically in the, job, uh, in the job description, like you do not need to submit this. But I've never heard an employer who was vague about that to be like, oh, I actually never I, – I, I ask for them, but I never look at them. Like if you're asking for them, they are elemental to the process. But it's only students that come to me and say like, I heard you don't need them. And I was like, I would love them to be not necessary to save you the time. But you absolutely need to think of that. And I know that's you know, a different topic for a different day. But being complete is necessary. Right. No, no. And this is something that we hear from the employers who recruit from our campus. And they'll say, well, the, option letter, the cover letter was optional. However, it was really cool to learn a little bit more about that student, right? right? It gives you that leg up, even if it really was optional. Mm-hmm. And I think going back a little bit, too, to this um, active versus passive process. So um, as our office has been shifting to do some more um, workshops, uh, I guess I guess workshop um, around designing your career at Yale, which comes out of the work of... Yep, the Designing Your Life folks at Stanford, Bill Burnett and Dave Evans. That's right. Thank you. Um, so some of the research that either they've done or they've incorporated into um, their work is that um, upwards of 80% of jobs are not actually posted somewhere. Right. So if you're doing this sort of passive search and, and just, um, you know, submitting your resume to lots of different things you're finding online, that's, you know, 20% of the jobs that exist. So there, of course, are just hundreds of people applying for those jobs. So if you're not talking to people too, you might not even be aware of all of the jobs that are even possible to apply to. And by talking to people, you're also putting yourself on people's radars. And actually, I just a, a personal anecdote of that is that I met Meredith at a conference. Mm-hmm. True. Um, and we, you know, got back to New Haven after that conference. I think we had lunch and maybe a month later, she knew who I was. She knew my interests. And she said, oh, there's a position opening up that you might be interested in. And I went through that whole process. You know, you still submit that resume. You still submit that cover letter. But now you've put yourself on somebody's radar. Um, and, and so it's truly those two, as you know, way back to what Brian was saying about these two strategies. We're the Office of Career Strategy. Mm-hmm. These two strategies <laughs> working together to really make um, the job search process work for you is is those – two elements. Just because you're networking doesn't mean you're not going to submit a resume and cover letter. And just because you're submitting a resume and cover letter doesn't mean you're going to have to not, you know, you know, have to talk to people. So they do actually work together. And I'm, you know, living proof. And she's living proof. Yeah. She's success story. Success story over here. <laughs> right. So did you find, Julia, that um, you almost felt more comfortable and confident writing your cover letter and resume because you had somebody that you had spoken with beforehand? I think, and Stephanie, I'm sorry, this was probably, this was like five years ago. You and I just celebrated five years at, yes, at the did. Office of Career Strategy. Julie and I started a week within yeah. each other. 
Um, so I do remember rem- thinking that, oh, someone knows my story. Someone has confidence in me that I would be a good fit for this because I remember Meredith and I had at this conference, we'd had dinner together. I learned all about her dissertation. I had very recently, maybe a few months before, finished my master's thesis. And so I had that confidence that someone actually knew my interests and thought that I could be a potentially a good fit. Again, it didn't excuse me from any part of the interview process. Um, but, it, you know, I think in as we're talking about the networking piece, networking was not me going to a really intimidating place. I actually hardly even thought of it as networking at the time. But you you do have to make those connections. You are putting yourself on somebody's radar, and um, and they they may think of you for that position that is publicly posted, yes, but mm-hmm. that you may not have found. Right, because hiring is is risk is risky, right? There's always risks in hiring, and I mean, first and foremost, if somebody leaves a position, that work falls on other people, so there's some stress there. And then you want to make sure that the people you hire are going to be a competent, but b people you want to spend forty plus hours a week with. And yeah, so, thanks, Meredith. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad that you wanted to spend that much time with me. Right. So, having any insight to the the sort of machinations of that individual and thinking about what their their process and approach is to to their professional life is is elemental. It's it's so valuable because usually you wouldn't get much of that until maybe a phone screen, definitely an interview. And even then, everyone's on their best behavior, right? So if you're out somewhere having dinner and having a long conversation, you really get, I think, a more honest insight to that individual. So not everyone's going to have the luxury of spending three days at a conference, but those opportunities need to be uh, take. You know, you need to be acted upon. So if it's just asking someone for coffee, that can be just as helpful um, as as yeah, you know, oh, we're at we're at this like sort of low key dinner at a at a conference when we're maybe you know willing to to share a little bit more about our, our personas. Um, and I think that helps kind of grease the gears of this process. It also helps us that are going through it see what the rewards are. So what I mean by that is, is ultimately when it, with a successful job search process involves a certain amount of routinization. Right, because there's a there's as I as I put down like a wash rinse repeat of the cycle, of trying to find positions, of trying to find contacts, uh, leveraging those contacts, engaging with those contacts, applying to those positions, and then we go through it once again. Um, the sort of in between all of that is maybe modifying the ideas of what we're looking for, the employers we're considering based on the conversations we have or the information we read but this routinization of the process. And it can be difficult for a lot of people when they're not seeing any kind of reward, so to speak, a success. Because if success is just go get the job, then it just seems like this grueling gauntlet of effort. Oh, right? Yeah. And so if we're learning from those contacts, those conversations, we're coming out, getting a lot of positive feedback about our background, about our qualifications, we're getting resume feedback, we're maybe mm-hmm. better understanding a new department in it within a larger organization that we didn't even know existed 10 minutes before the conversation, these are the more bite-sized rewards that come out of that. And that is elemental to this progress that I think a lot of people misconstrue because they're looking very understandably at the long game reward and not thinking of the short-term benefits that yeah. come through. And if I can add something really quick to that is that I always, um, when talking to students, say, keep track. Mm-hmm. You know, don't just let this live abstractly. 
note your conversations, note down the jobs you've applied for, keep a running list of employers. So, you know, make it tangible. Don't just let all these conversations live in your head. Yeah. It's yeah. a great spreadsheet game to right. keep track of this stuff. And also look at how far you've come, right? Right. Look at how far you've come and it'll help you recalibrate how you're approaching the next conversation or, um, you know, the next job search, uh, you know, online site that you use, right? Someone, you know, when the students say, oh, I just Google all that. Well, what do you think everyone else is doing, Mm -hmm. right? So how you can find those more like niche uh, job boards or, um, you know, specific organization sites, those conversations that you're having and keeping track of those things will help you have a more – uh, focused in, in uh, job search process for yourself and then narrow that scope a little bit down. Because I think that, you know, the student who has submitted 25, 35, 50 applications online, um, as Brian noted, this is the passive search, but that's still an important part of this, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, right? I've asked students, um, so tell me the ones you've applied to or give me a, a you know sample of them and, and let me know when did you apply? And if a student hasn't documented this, they literally have no idea. I don't know. Maybe it was a week ago. It might have been a month ago. I'm not sure. Well, do you happen to have the a contact that we can follow up with to actually look at the status of your application? I don't know. I'm not sure where I even found this one. Mm, Maybe I found it on LinkedIn. Yeah. No, wait. I found it in Indeed. So if you don't keep track... There's no way to follow up. And we definitely encourage you, unless it's stated explicitly, to not follow up, which sometimes it is. Um, you can follow up on these things. You yeah. can check in on the status of those applications. Um, in the Yale Career Link, uh, for those who are listening who are, um, you know, students and, and alums and postdocs, um, you have access to an employer directory that has a wide range of uh, recruiting contacts. You can look some people up and follow up with them there. Um, that's that's a way to make the passive a little more active. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's funny because you you feel as though once you've hit submit on those applications, you've you know sent it into the black hole or the abyss. That's what I hear yeah. from a lot of students, and um, you can you can come back out of that and say, okay, what do I actually have control over in this process? Well, I do have control over whether or not I find a contact from that organization to reach out to to reiterate my excitement for that particular job. Um, I do have some control in in tracking and keeping track of all the things that I've done and the conversations that I've had. So being mindful of the things that you can control in the process versus what you can't control, and then that'll help you kind of keep that sanity throughout this um, this wash, rinse, repeat cycle. Yeah. I have a question for, for all of you that sometimes I get. You know, we're talking a lot about job postings. We're talking a lot about networking. We're talking a lot about reaching out as all parts of the job search process. Do you get students who say, when, when, how do I find the time? How do I organize this? Ugh, all the time. And what do you say to them? Yeah. I, I usually approach it as carving out time, right? Because okay. I, I think that, you know, you can just say, oh, just make the time, right? And everyone's got really busy lives. And if you have any kind of work-life kind of balance, then you're trying to do things with your family or you have, you know, time for yourself. You want to, you know, exercise, go on around, all, all those kinds of things. Um, so, I, so I usually start with that kind of approach. Like we are recognizing that we are carving out time for this process um, and to allow that selection of what time you spend or when, when you spend that time on this is really important. So being mindful of, you know, if Saturday mornings you have a couple of hours to yourself um, before, you know, anything else really 
really happens and that feels like a good time for you to start reaching out to contacts or looking for jobs or um, having conversations with alums from your you know institution, um, then then do it on Saturday morning. If it's something that's a little bit more um, uh, you know, prevalent in, in your mind, or it's, or it's perhaps it's something that's making you really anxious and nervous on a very regular basis. All right, maybe it's an hour every day, like, and it's, you know, between the hours of, uh, you know, 6 p.m. and 7 p.m. because most other people in your life are having dinner and that's your alone time for yourself. So being mindful of how you might be able to carve that time out in, in, in your regular life, um, but just knowing that the consistency and being um, regular about that until you get the end result that you desire, which is that that job. Um, I, I think that that's that's typically the way that I'll talk about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, all right, so we are going to wrap up this episode of the show. We will be back with our next installment in the coming weeks, and we hope you will join us then. Thank you again for uh, taking a listen to this uh, installment of Take This Job and Love It.